You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. Bluekeep is being exploited in the wild. Not too seriously yet, but you should still patch. None of its government is recovering from a ransomware attack. It sustained Saturday morning. The NSO group controversy spreads into an Indian political dust-up. Different mage cart groups are found to be independently hitting the same victims. Gandcrab provided a new template for the cyber underworld. And U.S. Cyber Command deploys to Montenegro. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Monday, November 4th, 2019. Bluekeep, the wormable vulnerability in Microsoft's remote desktop protocol that Redmond disclosed in May of this year, has finally been exploited in the wild. That's not good, but it's not nearly as bad as months of warnings had led observers to expect. Bluekeep spooked the industry when its discovery was announced because a worm that enables remote code execution could be a serious matter indeed. Not Petya, a different worm that exploited a different Microsoft vulnerability, did a great deal of damage. So the announcement by several security researchers that a Bluekeep exploit had turned up in their honeypots drew much attention. But as Wired summarizes the attacks, the exploitation so far hasn't gone farther than the installation of some cryptojackers. So there's no reason to panic, but also no grounds for complacency. About three-quarters of a million machines are thought to still be vulnerable to Bluekeep. So again, if you haven't patched against Bluekeep, what are you waiting for? Ransomware hit the Canadian province of Nunavut's government Saturday morning, taking agencies offline and rendering services unavailable. Local and provincial governments have recently proven unusually attractive targets for ransomware, School districts around the United States, cities like Atlanta and Baltimore, and now a Canadian provincial government. There's no word yet on which strain of ransomware was involved, but the remarks by provincial officials to the press suggest that the infection entered the system by the usual way, by phishing. Some governments are taking prudent steps to avoid becoming the next victim. The city of Grand Forks, North Dakota, for one, has decided to transfer some of its risk by purchasing insurance. The city of 53000 has taken out a $500,000 policy that will cost it nearly $8,000 a year in premiums. The controversy between WhatsApp and NSO Group has grown into an Indian domestic scandal. WhatsApp has accused NSO Group of installing Pegasus spyware in WhatsApp users' devices, targeting journalists, activists, and politicians. Reuters reports that one of the politicians so targeted is the Congress Party's general secretary, Priyanka Gandhi Vadra, a spokesman for Congress, the largest opposition party, said that leaders in other opposition parties were also warned by WhatsApp that they'd been exposed to Pegasus. 
The Times of India says it's received information from the Internet Freedom Foundation, NGO, that suggests the Ministry of Electronics and Information Technologies, CERT-IN, knew about the buffer overflow vulnerability in WhatsApp that is believed to have allowed Pegasus in. WhatsApp has filed suit against NSO Group in a U.S. federal court. NSO Group, which is based in Israel and has in recent months publicly committed to rights-respecting corporate code of conduct, denies WhatsApp's contentions and says it intends to defend itself vigorously. Israel's government has basically said, leave us out of this, we don't have anything to do with it. Security firm Perimeter X says it's found a new trend in mage card attacks, different groups hitting the same victims at the same time. There's been some criminal-to-criminal trade, and even some signs that rival groups occasionally coordinate their campaigns, but the essentially opportunistic nature of this particular part of the underground has produced a number of independent attacks on targets. If it's vulnerable, they will come. Researchers at Advanced Intelligence explain how Gandcrab changed ransomware, moving it from a craft practiced in isolation by small gangs to a full-fledged black market commodity. Gandcrab, whose announced retirement seems retrospectively to have been considerably exaggerated, began offering ransomware as a service in January of 2018. Gandcrab seems to have represented not only a rationalization of the black market, but it appears to have also been a cultural phenomenon, redolent with the romance of crime. Crab seemed alive and benefited from a kind of personification. They offered jobs, solicited feedback, and communicated with both accomplices and victims. Gandcrab even operated the sort of charity campaigns and micro-loan partnerships traditional mobsters have run with insular communities. Many an ambitious skid began his or her career with the crab, and through social contagion, the gang has persisted. Advanced intelligence sees Gandcrab's development as having provided a template for other criminal enterprises. And finally, CyberScoop reports that, looking ahead to next year's U.S. elections, U.S. Cyber Command and U.S. European Command have deployed an undisclosed number of cyber operators to Montenegro, where they will work with the host nation to shore up mutual defenses against Russian influence operations. Montenegro is one of the European countries that received close and intense attention from Fancy Bear. That is, if you're just joining us, Russia's GRU Military Intelligence Service, during Montenegro's own recent elections. The cooperation is expected to be mutually beneficial. Managing the requirements for modern security programs is increasingly challenging and time-consuming. Enter Vanta. Vanta gives you one place to centralize and scale your security program, quickly assess risk, streamline security reviews, and automate compliance for ISO 27001, SOC 2, and more. You can leverage Vanta's market-leading trust management platform to unify risk management and secure the trust of your customers. Plus, use Vanta AI to save time when completing security questionnaires. CyberWire daily listeners can get $1,000 off by going to vanta.com cyber. That's V-A-N-T-A dot cyber. <laughs> ¶¶ 
In the dynamic world of enterprise security, identity architects and IT leaders face a major challenge. Growth by repeated acquisitions multiplies the complexity of everything. Multiple IDPs, MFA providers, policy engines that all need to coexist. This can lead to fragmented user identities and policies that create security vulnerabilities and add access friction. Strata Identity solves this. Now you can decommission unneeded IDPs and consolidate the ones you'd like to keep without rewriting apps or disrupting users, engineers, and app owners. Plus, Strata's modular architecture makes it easy to integrate with any identity provider without manual maintenance and coding. Join the ranks of cybersecurity leaders using identity orchestration. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your top identity security priorities, and receive a pair of complimentary AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations with over 5,000 employees. Step into a new era of identity management at strata.io slash cyberwire. And joining me once again is Joe Kerrigan. He's from the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute and also my co-host on the Hacking Humans podcast. Joe, it's great to have you back. Uh, It's good to be back, Dave. We are going to discuss the incident that's going on with uh, a couple of employees from Coal Fire. Right. uh, And uh, some pen testing that they were doing in Iowa. Right. And things took a turn for the worse for them. That's right. What happened here, Joe? Well, they had a uh, they had a contract with the state of Iowa to do some penetration testing mm-hmm. uh, some somewhere in the, in the judiciary of the state of Iowa. Uh, and during the course of their penetration testing, they got into a building. Uh, first off, when they walked up to the building, they found the building unlocked. Mm-hmm. Right? And this was late at night. Late right? at night, yeah. around midnight. Okay. They, the building was unlocked. They actually locked the doors and you know, wrote noted that the that the building was unlocked, and that's probably a security violation. Mm-hmm. But then they actually uh, picked a lock, which they were authorized to do by their contract, mm-hmm. right? And the documents clearly show that lock, lock picking was authorized. Then when once they got inside, they set off a burglar alarm on purpose, on purpose, okay, deliberately setting off a burglar alarm, and then waited outside for the police to show up, which they did, which they did. These deputies showed up, and when the deputies arrived, they told the deputies they were penetration testers from coal fire and they showed them all the documents. The deputies made the phone calls and everything was great. Everything happening the way it should happen. It should happen. With a penetration test. Right. Everything's in order. When you're doing a physical penetration test, you have a thing called a get out of jail free card. Mm -hmm. Right. They showed that to the deputies that showed up. The deputies make phone calls to verify everything's on the up and up. And uh, they say to the guys, you're good. You should be good to go. Mm -hmm. But then... Sheriff Chad Leonard shows up. Okay. Right. And he disagrees with his deputies and says that these guys don't have authorization to try to break into this building because it's owned by the taxpayers of Dallas County, Mm -hmm. Iowa, and that the state legislature or state judiciary, rather, doesn't have the authority to authorize a break-in or a penetration test at a county facility. And he arrests the two penetration testers. Okay. Right. Now... There's a, a video from KCCI, which is uh, a TV station out of Des Moines, that shows Sheriff Leonard talking, and one of the senators, state senators, is, is questioning him, and he says that this could have ended up with five deputies on administrative suspensions while they investigate why they 
killed two people at a courthouse. The sheriff said the this. The sheriff says this. Chad Leonard says that. Okay. Okay. So, first off, that's a gross misstatement of what, what actually transpired. According to all accounts, the, the transactions, the, the conversations between the deputies and the two pen t- testers were professional and, and handled well. It wasn't until Chad Leonard shows up that things went south. And the, to be clear, these pen testers, I, I'm assuming they were not armed. No, they're not they, armed. They were right. not uh, wearing ninja outfits or anything. They were, yep. they were professional. Like you say, everything was done on the up and up by the book showing professionalism for what they do. All right. Chad Leonard arrests them for felony burglary and possession of burglary tools, presumably being the lockpicks, right? Mm-hmm. Now, since then, those charges have just been reduced to criminal trespass, which is a misdemeanor. Okay. And Tom McAndrew, who's the CEO of Coal Fire, says, no, 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 no. <laughs> this is not going away. Just because you're you're lowering the charges to a misdemeanor does not mean that this is still valid in any way, shape, or form. And I agree with, with Tom McAndrew. This is bogus. This should not be happening. This is happening purely because of Sheriff Leonard. I, I don't know what what his issue is with this, but it's... Well, it seems like we've got a bit of a turf war here. Yeah. Dare I say a pissing match. Right, yeah. Between two different jurisdictions and, and one saying you don't have the authorization to do this. Sure. And these pen testers are stuck in the middle. Yeah, these pen testers are collateral damage to a political uh, discussion. Yeah. You know, a, polit- a political dispute, rather. Yeah. And it's sad. And these charges should be dropped immediately against these two pen testers. Yeah. And, and no further action should be taken uh, because they are not going to win in court, period. If this goes to court in any way, shape, or form, and, and McAndrew has said that they are going to go to court over this and get a jury trial if it goes to court, and they will not win. Hmm. Yeah, interesting. Uh, I think one thing uh, you noted was uh, I wonder if their contract uh, holds the state of Iowa on the hook for legal expenses. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> because when they negotiate this, this I put that on Twitter. When they negotiate these things, they say we're going to have these get out of jail free cards. And I, I've always wondered, I don't know this because I've not worked in a physical penetration testing organization, that if things do go south like this, is there a clause in the contract that says that the, the customer is going to pay for our legal fees? Mm-hmm. Um, and then, then coal fire could go after the state of Iowa for all the, all the costs that are associated with defending these two pen testers. Yeah. Because this is not going to be cheap. No, no. The, the whole thing just seems uh, like it's spun out of hand. And, it is ridiculous. Uh, I, I have to say I, I agree with uh, what coal fire CEO Tom McAndrew said. He said, I hope the citizens of Iowa... Continue to push for justice and common sense. Yeah, common sense. That's a great way to put it. Yeah. Just not that common. Yeah. All right. Well, time will tell. We'll see how this one plays out. Joe Kerrigan, thanks for joining us. My pleasure, Dave. And that's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for CyberWire Pro. It'll save you time and keep you informed. Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker, too. The CyberWire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Tomorrow.